3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. And welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, here on the beloved 3CR Airwaves and feeling rather happy that last week's Radiothon went so well. Thank you so much for all of the supporters of our show and 3CR itself because uh, I was just so happy to leave last week with uh, most of my target $800 raised. And uh, thanks to Roger Grace and Jeff Forster, who are two of the donors I know of since then, uh, we should have almost reached that total. I imagine that some of you dear podcasters are going to come through as well. Thanks, Daryl James and others. So uh, that helps maintain our rights to a place on the airwaves here at the jam-packed Scheduling grid at 3CR broadcasting from Smith Street, Melbourne, Australia. And uh, it's full steam ahead wherever you look. The incredible inequality that's driven home by the unfair advantages given to property speculators over those of us trying to enter the housing market to keep a roof over our head to uh, build upon that fundamental human right to a place on this planet. And uh, this week is the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta, no less. So uh, let's go to a clip here by Fred Harrison. He's our leading author of books such as uh, Ricardo's Law, Boom Bust 2010, that was written in 2005, um, The Traumatized Society, and many others. So uh, Fred is a... uh, a power of knowledge, and he's going to throw some hidden insights into what really went on with the Magna Carta. I look forward to uh, chatting about it on the other side. If we want to discover where modern European civilization went wrong, one of the places to start to look for the clues is this field. Because in the 13th century, a king met his barons and knights in a field along the River Thames near Windsor Castle and struck a deal. That deal is now known as Magna Carta. It's treated as a sacred document. It's supposed to be the cornerstone of the liberty of the individual. The ugly truth is terrible to behold. Magna Carta was the beginning of the end of the liberties of people born on the British Isles. Because it was here in Runnymede that the knights and the barons persuaded the king to begin a centuries-long process of de-socialising the rents of the land of the kingdom. Now, why is that significant? The state was supposed to protect every person in the territory. The rents were there to support the state to ensure that the liberties of every man and woman and child in England was protected. Everybody treated equally under natural right law. Well, the feudal aristocracy, the the barons and the knights, were public servants. They held land from the king on one condition, that they served the state, principally to defend the realm 
provide the foot soldiers and the equipment against foreign aggressors and to administer law and order in their local domains. But those barons and knights knew that theirs was a precarious arrangement because if the function of the army and the civil service and the law enforcers were to be professionalized, if people were to be paid out of the public purse directly to fulfill those functions, then they, the knights and the barons, would lose their social function, which means they would lose their right to receive the rents from the land of their estates. They would be an obsolete class. And that's what happened at the dawn of the modern European state. Kings decided it was more efficient to create professional armies, to have judges who were paid to go on circuit to enforce the law, to have paid civil servants. The aristocracy were one day going to be made redundant, but when that day occurred, they wouldn't care because the rents of the kingdom were going into their pockets, thanks to the deal that was originated in these fields. Now, in the celebrations on the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta, none of this will be explained to people in general because the people who control our society want to preserve the myth that our laws actually protect the human rights of the individual. Look at the sacred documents that are supposed to protect our interests. Go back to America and the revolution and the documents, the uh, Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. Examine those documents and what do you find? Well, the Founding Fathers said that their legal documents would be based on the natural rights philosophy. Now, their favorite philosopher was John Locke, who articulated the trilogy of rights of the individual, life, liberty, and estate. Now, that word estate meant land. It's the old English term for land. Liberty and life were contingent on having the natural right of access to land. But the plantation owners of Virginia and Carolina, who had left the English shores to carve out their big estates in the New World, they weren't going to share the right of land with any comers from Europe. They weren't going to have the right to access land enshrined in their sacred documents, so they excluded it. So anybody landing on the shores uh, in New York seeking the land of freedom were told that they, sure enough, had the right to life and liberty. But in place of land, what they had the right to was the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The plantation owners had erased the right to land from their documents. And the same thing happened in the 20th century when the United Nations published their Universal Declaration of Human Rights, when Europe published its European Convention on Human, Human Rights. What do we find? The individual has the right to everything under the sun except for the right, the equal right, the natural right of access to land. 
Now what's the significance of that? Well quite obviously in the modern period we can't just literally carve up the land and give an equal portion to everybody. That's not practical in the modern economy. Most of us don't want to work on the land as farmers. We want sufficient land in the towns to live and work on. But we all have an equal right to the riches of our land. Now that can only be expressed by giving everybody an equal right of access to the rents of the land. Those rents being created by all of us and those rents reflect the value of the natural resources of our uh, territory and the value created by our communities. So the practical resolution for giving everybody equal right of access to land is equal right of access to the rents of land. But that's what the barons and knights back in 1215 made sure would not happen because they began the process of privatizing those rents by de-socializing them, by eroding the social status of rent and enabling them to pocket the rents without having the obligation to serve the community. As a consequence, the individuals who were born uh, after the 16th century were dispossessed of the land physically through the enclosures. They didn't have the right of access to the rents being spent through the public purse because the landlords in Parliament were now taxing the wages of the workers so that they could run down the revenue collected by the land tax. So that by the 19th century, the land tax can, raised approximately 3 or 4% of the rents of the kingdom directly. In their place, they imposed the salt tax, the beer tax, all the taxes on working people so that the aristocracy, the gentry and their hangers-on like the lawyers and the people who administered the estates like the surveyors, they shared in the rents of the kingdom and allowed the peasants to carry the burden of taxes. None of this will be discussed during the commemoration of Magna Carta, but what we now discover, looking closely at what happened in this field in 1215, was that the liberties of the individual, far from being enshrined in that document, began to be eroded when the king signed Magna Carta under the trees in Runnymede. And there we have Fred Harrison from a recent YouTube clip talking about yeah, Magna Carta and what it really meant how, uh, sure, there was discussion on uh, the 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 placing of the king finally under the rule of law but hidden within those uh, details were concerns that uh, yet again w the people still have no access to land and from that the the so-called fundamental rights that magna carta was supposed to deliver um it didn't really eventuate and whilst uh, we did have trimming such as uh, the right to uh, trial by jury um, there still weren't equal rights to the rents of the land, the naturally rising value of the earth. And uh, it's so ironic, uh, as Harrison points out there, that there was all this discussion of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
there was an argument uh, through the American uh, founders of the Constitution for it to be life, liberty and property, um, for all us white folks to have uh, rights to property. Um, yeah, but uh, it's, a, it's a huge concern that uh, still there's all this fanfare about the rule of law when really we have such a little... Um, understanding of uh, our our natural rights to a place on this planet, and that's what we really need to uh, to to get a grip on when uh, the next Occupy type movement comes up. Let's go now to a clip with Carl Williams, who was in the office today, and I asked him about his perspective on the Magna Carta and and where it got us. We're visited today by Carl Williams, Treasurer of Prosper Australia, and uh, someone who's always got an interesting opinion on things, and we're just talking about this Magna Carta story and the battle between uh, royalty, the aristocrats, and then uh, we the people, and how that's played out uh, from uh, those times in uh, 1215 through to uh, modern establishments such as the people's budget so carla what do you think about when you hear the term magna carta and what foundations did it lay yeah thanks buddy the magna carta is rightly held out to be one of the hallmarks of modern democracy because uh it's really the first time in civil society that the rule of law overrode the whim of the king. In fact, it led to the beheading of King Charles II in the 1600s. So that law really stuck. Uh, And, of course, Parliament enacted those laws. Uh, Unfortunately, Parliament, at least in Great Britain... uh, was not just the House of Commons, but included the House of Lords. And up until about a 100 years ago, the House of Lords was stacked with the landed aristocracy, the hereditary landlords. And that's in a way what Harrison was getting at in that clip. Really, uh, uh, the Magna Carta, um, whilst it did put a check and balance on the rule of the king, still there was an immense uh, rent-seeking capacity there for the the aristocratic uh, powers, uh, those hereditary landowners to still cream the system. And uh, while some of uh, the the balance was offset, uh, still there was a lot of play um, allowed for them. And and that's what's really uh, the, the grounding disaster of Magna Carta and all these other human rights charters we've had since that time. Yeah, well, look, while you might have got rid of the the whims of the king, if you're a landless labourer, it doesn't matter who you can vote for as your local member, if you haven't got your birthright in land, uh, then your democratic vote still doesn't amount to much. Now, few people perhaps realise that there was an immense uh, land reform movement in Britain in the early 1900s when uh, sweeping, uh, well, uh, riding the tide of Henry George's great crusading efforts to implement 
land and taxation reform, there was a majority of so-called geonomists in the House of Commons. And three times these majority geonomists are uh, 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 put forth these uh, bills to implement a sizeable collection of the economic rent of land. And guess what? Three times the House of Lords fought tooth and nail to prevent uh, those bills getting passed. Never before in the history of the House of Lords have they ever acted in such unison. They wheeled them in in their wheelchairs. They all came in and uh, fought bitterly to oppose these reforms. And guess, guess what they gave instead? They gave them crumbs from the aristocrats' table in the form of social welfare. This was really the birth of the welfare state where there was a social safety net and um, unemployment benefits and, and so on. But this is, this is not what was proposed. What was proposed was to get it to the root cause of poverty, whereby we had, we, people did not have equal access to land and natural resources. We don't want equality. We want equal opportunity. And had those reforms gotten through, we wouldn't have had these vast disparities of wealth with a few uh, minuscule portions of social welfare. So social welfare was dished out to placate the masses to prevent the institutional uh, reforms from really happening. And it was, only, it was because of the outrage in Britain at what happened in 1909 when Lloyd George's so-called People's Budget was, uh, f- uh, was defeated by the House of Lords that after the dust settled after World War I, the great reform of the House of Lords took place whereby gradually all of those old hereditary lords were abolished. Well, I, I still pinch myself... Uh when I was in contact with the Victorian Parliamentary Library uh, looking for some background on what happened with our Legislative Council here and it wasn't until 1950 that uh, property owning qualifications were required for you to be a member of the Legislative Council. So here we are barely uh, 60 years since that uh, major reform where any sort of reform looking at... uh, capturing some of the naturally rising value of the land, the earth, um, would be shared democratically back with the people. Well, uh, yeah, we're we're still dealing with those consequences. It's it's still too difficult to really uh, politically address this uh, major concern. But, uh, Carl Williams, uh, let's go back to the Magna Carta and this this, uh, peer-reviewed jury system that was set up and look at the analogy between that to the the sort of economic system we operate under and uh you know do the the commoners do the people do we all have a share in the commons can we draw a line between the legal system and the economic system to help people understand 
why Magna Carta is in namesake but uh, not really uh, uh, delivering the goods uh, for the people uh, when it comes to economic justice and our uh, fundamental earth rights. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, Magna Carta has that, uh, it carries with it this sense of the great reform in democracy when the whim of the royalty, not just the king, but the lords, dukes, earls and barons were swept away. However, given that the uh, fundamental land reforms uh, whereby the serfdom of the time was not abolished, given that these land reforms didn't take place along with the Magna Carta, uh, poverty, serfdom, uh, disparities of wealth really did not uh, result from uh, the Magna Carta. Sure, there was the rule of law and uh, Parliament was instituted, but look what happened after the Magna Carta. We still had uh, the enclosures of the commons from about the 1400s when at least every common man and woman had access to the commons to graze and to to raise crops. Um, Even though the Magna Carta was in place, uh, the commons was gradually enclosed over the centuries after the 1400s such that by the 1800s, when the enclosures of the commons uh, had been complete, people had been completely... Uh, disinherited from uh, their birthright in land. And it was that that allowed the Industrial Revolution, which needed cheap labour under appalling conditions, but it was only because the commons had been completely enclosed, people had no right to put their labour to work, they had no choice but to go and work along with their kids in these horrific Dickensian sweatshops, only because their birthright and land had been disinherited. And that was Carl Williams, Treasurer of Prosper Australia, and who a number of you have probably crossed swords with somewhere on an email list. He's uh, quite uh, an activist out there online, so great to have him on the show, discussing these crucial uh, facts of... Uh, Magna Carta and uh, Alana Hartsock in her book The Earth Belongs to Everyone writes uh, the enclosures were introduced after the signing of the Magna Carta in 1215. This was a great charter that King John was forced by the English barons to grant. Traditionally interpreted as guaranteeing certain civil and political liberties, the right to land for the common people was not among them. The first legal act to enforce enclosures was the Statute of Merton of 1235, which spoke of the need to approve, meaning improve, the land in order to extract greater rent. From whom do you think they were extracting those rents, writes Alana Hartsock. So, uh, yeah, crucial that uh, this isn't recognised more closely, and whilst Harrison was correct to say that uh, it did 
downgrade the role of uh, the barons and the aristocrats uh, from uh, having this public service right of uh, of providing the armies and uh, pro- providing a rule of law within their uh, fiefdom uh, it evolved into a system uh, where uh, peer-based juries um, occurred, but still there was no peer-based sharing of the economic rights to the earth. That was locked up and hidden away, and uh, Magna Carta was uh, a great reflection of this tension between taxation without representation and uh, these aristocratic rights over the earth and uh, unfortunately uh, it wasn't really spelt out in full detail but uh, we have to um, just keep alive uh, these thoughts that uh, as human rights are discussed uh, the UK at the moment is looking at updating their human rights bill well will we ever have a right to the land a right to the earth so that it's not just shareholders who get to make the easy money it's uh, all of us as uh, as uh, owners of the the commonwealth so uh, that's a crucial crucial issue that more need to be uh, aware of because the value of those rights are immense and could well replace all taxes on our work all taxes even on companies we'd be willing to hand that over because we know it's the monopoly rights over the land over these natural monopolies that are being privatised away. That's what the uh, 0.01% are after, is these naturally rising economic rents, the free lunch that uh, government-granted privilege enables. And a a very interesting analysis of those government-granted privileges in the form of the cosy developer relationships and how rezonings are uh, more likely for developers with those sort of relationships. Well, we had Cameron Murray on the show a couple of weeks ago. His report has been causing a storm around uh, Australia within academic circles, within uh, some of uh, the government-type uh, circles as well, various integrity commissioners, and hopefully uh, Auditor-Generals are going to be looking into uh, what he revealed in one of the most exciting new methodologies for analysing the power of rent-seekers. And so we are flying Cameron Murray down to Melbourne for next Tuesday, June 24th. He's presenting his... Um, paper that you heard on the show just a few weeks ago at the RMIT Centre for Urban Studies, 12.30 to 1.30 next Tuesday. So uh, please check out the prosper.org.au website or the show notes on earthsharing.org.au for uh, this show number 396 will be up online tomorrow. So uh, Cam Murray, an excellent presenter and something that any town planner, land valuer, council officer, government bureaucrat, academic or change agent should really be keying into because this directly looks at how our rights have been sold off to insiders and uh, Magna Carta or not, uh, it means little unless we have uh, some way to distribute the spoils of government-granted privileges. All right, well, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Please check us on Twitter at Earthsharing. Uh, Facebook is a similar group, Earthsharing as well. Uh, realestateforransom.com, and that's real estate with a number four, 
ransom.com is a documentary I made a few years ago. So there's plenty out there to get your head around so that we can call the vested interests to account and beat them on their own grounds of efficiency. All right, stay tuned for The Boldness. Hi, I'm Sonny Drake, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM. <laughs> 